0: I just got back from South Africa. I went there for a week uh, as a kind of awesome little God moment holiday situation. So I just got back on Wednesday. And whilst I was out there, a few things uh, happened that made me uh, more self-aware and more aware of my surroundings than I had been before. Now, last Sunday, so this time last week, um, I spoke at three different churches out in the city of Pretoria. And uh, during the first the morning service, i um, Just before it started, everyone was having coffee outside under the trees, because it's hot out there, so they can do that, right? And um, so I'm just chatting away, um, meeting people, and uh, as I'm talking to um, this guy and his wife and stuff, this this older woman, probably in her 60s or 70s even, comes over, clutching like a raggy old Bible, and she just dashes over to me, grabs me by the arm, and just goes, come with me, and she like drags me away from this conversation. Um, Now... I've found that uh, when I go and speak at other churches, there is usually somewhere in the background a kind of nutty prophet lady around. Like, there's always one that's like uh, a little bit older and really hears the voice of God, a bit quirky, and, uh, and when you go and visit, quite someone will take me to one side like this and give me a word that the Lord's given before me so that's totally what I thought was happening so she takes me to one side and I'm like okay I'm ready for this she's probably going to give me a word from Jesus and then she says to me honey check your zipper <laughs> and my flies were fully undone and it's I was literally about to go on stage and preach with my pants out. It was like so, so embarrassing. And she's just like, I don't want to embarrass you in front of all those people, so I thought I'd just say it once, alright, okay, God please, hi! I was like, oh, I've been utterly humbled. But I just assumed I'd be receiving a word. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, okay, nightmare. And then later on during the day, I had to go speak at, at another church and um Uh, So I was more self-aware by the end of that first experience And this is when I became more surrounding-aware Because just before I went to speak I decided to pop to the toilet And uh, I walked into the boys I just wasn't looking where I was going I bowled straight in There were two student lads washing their hands Thank goodness it was cubicles, is all I can say Because I'd fully committed right inside the room By the time I opened my eyes and realised what was going on Um, So I'm standing in the boys' toilets And I literally just went oh, this is the boys, isn't it? My bad. Ooh. And uh, I just ran. And um, and uh, they were sort of calling out behind me like, it, it is, don't, don't worry about it, yeah. And then um, I was desperately hoping that um, they wouldn't have had time to clock uh, that it was me. But then, of course, knowing full well that I was about to stand up on stage with the only British person there, I'd definitely said enough to spot my accent. And so I just... I just died on stage when I stood up because I knew there were two lads that were laughing because I joined them in the toilet backstone. <laughs> so, <clears throat> self-awareness and surrounding awareness. Today, I'm not planning to embarrass you into being more aware of who you are and where God's placed you. Um, although, if you need to at this point check your flies and know that boys are on the left, girls on the right, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I won't make a thing out of it. But. We are going to be more self-aware at the end of today. And we are going to be more city-aware by the end of today. And we are going to be more aware of God's vision for cities by the end of today. um, And we're not going to get embarrassed. So at the end of last week, just to recap, Josh left us with the following call. To to live out this gospel (laughs) which G2 is centred around. And uh, Josh particularly gave us the call to speak up and stand up for the poor and for justice. A call to speak up and stand up for truth and beauty. A call to tell the story of the good news and invite others to find their place in this story. And then Josh commissioned us to go from here to our scattered geographical locations around York. And so this is where we're going today. In this aim to increase our city awareness, by the end of the day, I want us to see God's vision and heart for cities and how important cities are actually throughout the whole sweep and story of scripture. We're going to identify our own cities within the city of York and notice where God has placed our two feet. We're going to identify the culture of that city and spot where are the God image moments and where are the idols in where we live. And today we're going to leave knowing that we're not in it on our own. There's more of us in this room together called to that place than we realise and that God has a much bigger vision for us than maybe we've noticed before. Although there were some very awkward moments, obviously, about my time away in South Africa, um, there's a real gift, uh, I find, in getting out of your context for a moment, out of your culture, out of your country, even, if you get the opportunity. Um, Getting some perspective by stepping back makes you realise that things we take for granted and things we think are normal, that really isn't the case. There are a lot of things that we think are right, which are actually just true of the Western Church, that are just true of being in the UK that are just true of our existence in York. That isn't isn't the way it is around the world. And values we hold can be flipped on their heads when you realise that people (coughs) who follow Jesus have to walk this thing out in a completely different context. So I really appreciated going away and thinking about this City Vision Talk and actually being out of my city and in somebody else's city as I was preparing this, because it made me pay attention when I stepped back into my life and my everyday when I turned up in York again. And so today I hope this is also a step back moment for us all, where we get a chance to ask God, if I were to be out of my context, what can you actually teach me about where I am? How is it actually affecting me? What is actually of you, and what have I just accepted as just the way it is, without actually asking Jesus whether that's okay or not? I'm actually going to pray for us now, for that, that the Holy Spirit would give us God's vision as we go forward today. So, Father God, I thank you that you have a vision for our city. Holy Spirit, you're already here. So, presence of God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would make us more aware of your presence. Father, I ask that my words uh, be your heart, be your heartbeat. <coughs> and the Holy Spirit, you will speak truth into our context, our lives, and our call. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start by exploring the significance of cities throughout the sweep of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, we need to realise that cities and urban settlements where uh, people are living in close proximity to each other, uh, that is a very deliberate part of the plan of God, and uh, he has a very deliberate heart for cities throughout the Bible. Now. Um, if you have seen the size of the book that Josh gave me to read for this series, I've done hundreds of pages of reading about cities, so uh, I'm not going to subject you to all the homework I had to do for this talk. What I am going to do is in about seven minutes give you a whistle-stop tour from Genesis to Revelation of God's vision for cities. So um, kind of hold on tight, pay attention. Um, the scriptures are going to be on the screen so you can them down and read them later, but this should give you the God vision as seen in the Bible, okay? Right, what we see basically through scripture is the role of the city gradually being transformed from a place uh, emphasising a city's rebellion into a place of the city being strength and power and refuge. So there's a transition in a story that is unfolding that we're now part of. In Genesis chapter 4, right at the beginning, the first mention of the city is actually when Cain, who was the, the first guy to commit murder in the world, Cain built a city. That's how cities start, that's their context. Crucially, in Genesis 11, people built a city called Babel. And you will have heard that word. It's been a film, it's been a Mumford and Sons song. It's later known as Babylon, David Gray's song. That's just not a useful knowledge for you. With the express purpose, Babel was built with the express purpose of people identifying themselves as separate to God. Check out Genesis 11 verse 4 says this. This is what the people say about Babel. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Notice, the culture of the city of Babylon is to make people God, to do everything to make a name for humanity rather than their creator. Has anything changed today in the development of our world cities? Moving on, Numbers 35. God commands his people, Israel, to establish cities that will stand for justice. So you start to see that God has an alternative plan to what humans would say about cities. 1 Kings 14. Jerusalem becomes the city that God says will be the home of him on this earth. A place that will represent his presence on the earth. So now we get the significance of Jerusalem coming in. 2 Samuel 5. Jerusalem is captured by David to become God's city. Then we get the Ark of the Covenant moving in. That is that big gold chest that held the Ten Commandments that basically was a tangible symbol of the presence of God dwelling with his people. The the tangible presence of God moves in to Jerusalem. And then, still in 2 Samuel 5, Solomon builds a temple in the highest point of Jerusalem called Mount Zion. And again, you'll see lots of references to that. Um, In scripture, in like Jeremiah and um, Isaiah, Uh, he builds a temple on the highest point of the city of Zion, literally to symbolise a place that God is ruling over everything. Note the contrast between Babel, a tower built to be the highest point of the city to represent humans as God, versus the temple on Zion in Jerusalem to represent God's rule. You can already see the tension that we still live in. In 2 Samuel 7, we discover that Jerusalem is to act as a witness to point towards the future city of God, the city that God always intended to build with his people way back in the day in the Garden of Eden. So from the first books of the Bible, we can already see this tension between God's vision for cities and humanity's instinct to create the world for themselves without God. The battle lines have already been drawn in the story that we now enter. Today we're in a city and we're still part of this city tension, this city story. We still live in between Babylon and Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, a city built entirely for man and a city entirely for the glory of God. We're living between the Babel and the temple moments keep going. In Jeremiah 28 verse 20, uh, chapter 28 and 29, this is crucial. We see God now calls his people to settle in Babylon. Babylon isn't the new Jerusalem. It isn't God's dream for city. And yet, he calls his people to settle there, even though it isn't their real home. God actually tells his people to build their lives there, to dig in, to put down roots and actually work for the whole city of Babylon to flourish. This is a... A crazy, uh, challenging scripture in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. God tells his people, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Listen to that heart God has for the city, even though it's not his ideal city. Make it prosper and you will prosper. Serve the city that you're living in as an exile just in the Old Testament we can already start drawing how relevant cities are to where we are today and how we live out this call but we've got to keep going into the New Testament we see that scripture continues to underline what God already established in the first part of the Bible we start to hear that um, we are also referred to as exiles as aliens as foreigners in the world if we follow Jesus the same language that was used of the people of God when they were exiled, when they were turfed out of Jerusalem, their home, and had to live in Babylon. If you have given your life to Jesus, by very definition, you have been born again into a different family, from a different world, where where a different kingdom uh, reigns. So, as a Christian, this world is no longer home, because Father God is where home is. And when his rule is established and all darkness and brokenness and evil is gone, that's when we're home, which we see later on at the end of time. So by very definition, if you've given your life to Jesus, this is not the final destination. This world, this tangible world in front of us is not all there is, and we're actually not home yet, just like the Israelites in Babylon. (coughs) In 1 Peter 2, chapter 11, Paul calls us aliens. He refers to us as these exiles. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We're all exiles in in this world if we follow Jesus and we will all clash with parts of the world Yet, God still calls us to put roots down in our city now. It isn't Jerusalem. We're not home yet. And yet he still says, dig in, serve the city, pray for it and see it prosper. We're not here to be in a little ghetto of Christians waiting for the day we get to go home. We are here to scatter and bless the ground that we are in exile on. God loves cities, he's got hope for them, even when they weren't originally built for his glory. And we know God has a habit of taking things that are broken, that weren't intended for good, that uh, seem messed up, and flipping on its head, redeeming it, turning it around. Because actually that's what he does with every human life that Jesus saves. He takes something that was not with God and he turns it new in him. He saves it. We live in a tension between the tower and the temple. Moving on through the New Testament, we find the book of Acts is largely all about uh, a move, uh, the movement of the faith being spread through cities. If you track the life of Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, we find that he seems to strategically move from city centre to city centre in order to speak the gospel to the cultural and uh, government influences around. He goes from the places of power and it's city centre to city centre. You'll notice that the early church movement is largely a movement where the Roman cities are one. And actually, lots of the rural areas still don't know the gospel. But the cities, they get taken. Keller's got a great quote about this. He says, Through cities, Christians changed history and culture by winning the elite, as well as identifying deeply with the poor. And we're going to pick up on that point again in a bit. Now, by the time we wind up at the end of the Bible, Revelations chapter 21 and 22, God is now describing his ultimate city. His picture he's had all along actually coming to fulfilment. This is known as the New Jerusalem, which is described like a garden city with both walls and gates and structures, as well as rivers and trees growing. This gives us a glimpse of God's plan as it's been all along for creation. See, this garden city is the fulfilment of what God originally told Adam and Eve to do back in the Garden of Eden. Because God said to them, I want you to steward this, I want you to take care of it, to build it, to grow it. I want you to develop it with me in relationship. Which should mean that Adam and Eve, together with God, built a glorious garden city out of the Garden of Eden. But we know that the Adam and Eve story didn't stay pure and perfect in relationship with God, which is why Jesus shows up as the second Adam, the man that will fulfill the promise of God from the start. Jesus who says, okay, something got broken and humanity was no longer building this garden city with its maker. So Jesus steps in and says, I'll bridge the gap. Humanity and its maker can now know each other and still be part of this work to renew all things. To see the city prosper for the glory of God, Jesus makes that possible. That Jesus makes that possible for us in York. Yes, we are not home yet, but as exiles in York, Jesus makes it possible for us to dig in and see this place flourish for the glory of God. You know, cities have a higher concentration of people, which therefore the logical conclusion of that is cities have a higher um, concentration of God's image because humanity is made in the image of God so in cities we find glimpses of God's glory in every human that lives there because he hand made them over 50% of the world's population now lives in cities only two centuries ago it was 5% this is how much the movement of the city is on the rise and how much we need to pay attention when God talks about cities he isn't talking about big visions and metaphors of one day he's talking about today as well Where we live, where the world is going, because everything... I mean, the the kind of experts predict that about 70% of the world's population in the next kind of century is going to be drawn in. It's basically going to be one big city. What on earth is that going to look like? And are we going to pay attention? Are we going to be aware of that or just let it happen and then look back and realise we missed it? I want my love for this temples and towers idea. Is that no matter how many cities can build towers for the glory of man, we are known as the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the presence of God moving into the city and making it a new Jerusalem, seeing it flourish even amongst the towers of Babel. So that's the story of God from Genesis to Revelation in about seven minutes. God's people begin as wanderers and nomads outside the city, then as city rebels in Babel. Then God directs them to be city builders and rebuilders in Jerusalem, and then city-loving exiles in Babylon. In the New Testament, the people of God become city missionaries, and the early believers are scattered far and wide from city to city out from Jerusalem, partly because they're being persecuted and chased out, and partly because uh, Jesus calls us to therefore go and make disciples, not therefore stay and wait for them to come. And finally, when God arrive, when God's future arrives, it is in the form of a city. And his people can finally and fully be home. This is why it matters that we are a church that's in a city. This is why today is about coming to an awareness of where we have been placed. The city that we live in and the cities within York that we are having influence over. This is why we need to get a city vision and keep a city agenda. Because the city has always been on God's agenda and it is his ultimate vision. So now we're going to get a bit more practical. We're going to have a go at analysing G2. That is actually analysing ourselves because we are G2. And working out what has God put in our community and what does that mean for the city. The way we're going to do this to explore God's vision for our city today is by looking at cities of influence within the city of York. So we're going to break it down into smaller cities within the geographical location that is York so that we can start to specifically see where God's placed us and why that matters. This is all about becoming more self-aware and city-aware, as we're going to do the following tasks. So, um, you're going to have to get up, and you're going to have to do something, but that's alright. That's church, is it? So, task one. Um, on your tables, you have A4 pieces of paper. Uh, just for the next minute, I want you to grab a marker pen and write down your... Um, like your biggest role in the world at the moment. What I mean by that is, if uh, for your place of work, write down your job title. If you're currently not employed and that isn't the main way you spend your time, then uh, put your role as student or fam, or like a parent or carer or volunteer or um, your main area of influence, I suppose. Uh, If you're retired, but there is an area where you have a particular hobby or uh, you particularly care about or feel called to still pray for, feel free to put that down. But just on your piece of paper, write down, what's your main role? Where's God placed you? Write it big enough that I can see it, if possible. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. On the A4 paper, mate. Yeah, listen to instructions, Holly, come, come on. Up. Uh, you, you, you can do more than one, but you will need to pick a sphere of influence. So, you, you can be cheeky and put two, Philippa, but you'll have to pick one in the end. Okay, hold them up for me, please. gonna just take a photo, just out of interest, to see what we've got. Hold them up. Look at this, hello, church. This is nice. Oh, grandparent, what a good role. Lovely. Lovely. I don't know why I'm doing this. It just sort of seems fun. Okay, good. Uh, Task two. Uh, Oh, Freya, I need your help. Okay, we are now going to get you moving because you are going to go and move cities and settle in the cities of influence that God has placed you in. So, uh, good. We're going to start with the two universities. If you are York Uni or York St John... um, you're going to have to move over here, because we've put some big tables for over over here. So uh, everybody's going to have to get up at this point, because we're all about to shuffle. If,
1: can I get, Holly, can you come and take the York Uni card? And can I... Where's Lindsay? Lindsay, can you come and take Yorks to John? Great. So Lindsay, if you want to come to this round table, pop up Yorks and John. Sorry
0: team, you're, you're, moving for the rest, you're moving for the rest of the meeting now, so take your stuff. Where's... Can, Catherine,
1: can you take education and come into
0: some this? Because you're Student. a teacher down the front Education... York CUNY, and Jump. Okay, charity sector. Christian,
1: I'm giving you Vicar. Hazel. If you're part of religion, find
0: Christian in a table. Hold up your sign if you've got a mountain sign. Hazel's not for profit in charity sector. Where is uh, Philippa Gowland? The Arts and entertainment. I give you
1: government. If you work in the government sector, can yes. you find Philippa in that purple dress and she will sit? At the table? Hold up
0: your Rosie Smithall's got the arts and entertainment there. Business, lockers. If you work in any area of business, yeah, legal and government, count it. Find where you fit. Okay, retail and service. Oh, Where's Ah? Uh, James Wilson. Uh, can I give
1: whose family?
0: Retail Great. and service.
1: If you are part of And this lovely gentleman in the Purple Jumper Jeff Jeff in the Purple Jumper has a family Mr. Simon, oh, your oh yeah.
0: where do you think you fit as an engineer? Oh, business, government, business, government, education
1: technology
0: health media <laughs> health yeah. this was basically for you Ben <laughs> oh,
1: well done,
0: come on man. doctor um, thank you yeah, there's a retail one. Well, we can, if we don't have media, then we can... Blimey. It, but you our want to join is one. Is this that's it it. on student? That is not on table. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> Sorry, Dean. Oh, you nice. Can set the stage there are, you are post-it notes. you want
1: to pass on to Okay,
0: me. I want you to sit down with your mountains, please. Sit down in your spheres. Ben, do you have anyone else in health? I've on to post-it notes students. Dave Mason, why don't you go join Ben in health, just to oh, give a bit of an evening off. Any medical students oh. want to go and... False defence in Sinclair's Mountain. What about arts, and students
1: of art? Should we put some students, if you're a student, any art students want to go make roses
0: because less rubbish.
1: <laughs> History of art, anyone? Uh, if you do,
0: maybe, performing arts. Yeah, also camps. Is that anyone's degree? Any drama types? Christian, you've never been one representing religion. <laughs> oh, that's sounds.
1: Uh, uh, Rosie
0: you want to team up well, with Christian? No, 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 that doesn't make sense. Christian, you need to team up with the charity sector. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, you, uh, you need to go read
1: it, though. to be honest. You charge people to
0: come and paint? Swindles? Yeah. Swindles. Be... Right. Or, well, you can either go in terms of your part-time job, or you're studying, you're doing education and art, aren't you? It's um, a whole psychology thing. Anyone in <laughs> <laughs> Don't know, but <blank> it <laughs> me. <laughs> when you are to study, you basically fit in every category stills. skills. Okay. Now, what I want you to do, and students, you're going to have to uh, section down into like fives and sixes just so that you can meet each other. I want you to, number one, introduce yourselves to the people around you. Recognize their faces, know their names. These are people that God has called to the same area of influence as you. And then, once you've introduced yourselves, using the big pieces of paper that are laid out on the tables, um, I want you to try and write down, and there's posters here so the people that can't get to the table can just write and stick, I want you to write down um, everything about your sphere of influence, your city's culture. Okay, I want to know what what if you were to stereotype a person that works in your area? What are they like? Uh, we we're talking like at you University of York. Um, How wealthy are those students? How conscious of social action are they? Where are they from? What are they studying? What are their politics? What are some of the greatest needs in your sphere of influence? What are the greatest gifts that you guys have? What is your culture like in education? What are your slogans and mottos and goals? I want to know everything there is to know about your city. So um, introduce yourselves and get writing and students, we can get some more pens and post-its. But I want to see on that paper Absolutely. What is the culture of the city that you represent? Go for it. to explain phase two of the exercise. So just your attention for one moment. Teachers, listen up. Pens down, eyes up, please, teachers. Pens down, eyes up. Come on. Detention. Okay, so ooh, and when you've covered your paper with everything that defines the culture thing you live in in your city, um, you then have to do the following. You have to spot where are the temples and where are the towers. I made up this exercise, I'm quite proud of it. Basically, <laughs> temples and showers. Um, every time that you see something that you think, actually, that can be a strength in God. That's something of the image of God. That's something of this world flourishing for the glory of God. Because we're made by God, right? So people, innately, people will be doing some things that reflect something of him. Every time you see a temple, I want you to circle it. That is you saying, that is actually a strength in my culture that I can, as a Christian, I can actually celebrate it. And then I want you to circle the things that are the towers, like the Tower of Babel. What are the things that that actually challenge you, that make you think, I'm actually uncomfortable as a follower of Jesus, um, living around that? That's difficult. That doesn't represent God to me. That is a tension for me. I want you to star, like asterisks every time you see a tower, and circle every time you see a temple. So, want your papers covered with a culture, and then spot. Where are your towers? Where are your temples? Off you go. speak to you again now. I know that is lightning quick, um, but it's, it's the beginning of self-awareness that we can just have a go at beginning to name this. Should we cut the music but as much as I do love it? Thanks. So, okay, stay in your city, but make sure you're comfortable. Stay in your city, apart from Tim, who just understandably that you needs a drink, and that's fine. <laughs> it worked super hard today. Okay, so... My hope is now that you have begun to tap into uh, the culture and the city that God has actually placed you in. And you have just become more self-aware as you realise you are placed somewhere deliberately. It is not by accident that you're a student. It is not by accident that you are in education. Secondly, there are things that you step into in your culture. Not all of that is from Jesus. We can't just assume that our culture is the right culture. Sometimes there are things that we need to spot and question and challenge as well as embrace and celebrate. I hope that you are now more city aware that you have an influence and a part to play and also more aware that you're not on your own because even in our own church family, you have been placed in a team of other people that are working with God to see the flourishing of that area. You lot are not alone. We have quite a workforce here, you know what I mean? Like, that's exciting. Notice the people that you're sitting around. You are part of each other's prayer to see the city flourish. So, I just want us to quickly look at some of the opportunities that present themselves as we spot our cities. So, Keller points out four key groups of people that the church must reach as part of its mission, all of which can be found predominantly in cities. Firstly, the younger generation, the 80s to 30s, that generation overwhelmingly wants to live in cities. Everybody of that age bracket is seeking... something like over 70% of people want to live in the city of that age bracket. And the church has got to... We've got to reach that generation. Secondly, the cultural elites. These are the people that have the big influence on where society goes and how the world is shaped. Guess where you find them? In the city, again. Keller says, since cities now influence the culture and values of the world more than ever... The single most effective way for Christians to influence the culture of a nation is to have large numbers of them stay in cities and simply be the church there. Number three, an opportunity to reach accessible unreached people groups because we'll notice the city draws minorities together. It's in the cities that people from other nations and cultures often settle and find home. But they're out of their traditions and comfort zone, which means there's an opportunity to invite them to hear a new perspective, to hear something of the good news, because they're outside of their comfortable every day. And finally, the poor. A great majority of the world's poor lives in cities. There is a vital connection to be made between reaching the urban elite's and serving the poor in a city. Stunning quote from Keller. An urban church does not choose between the ministry to the poor and ministry to the professional class. We need the economic and cultural resources of the elites to help the poor, and our commitment to the poor is a testimony to the cultural elites. It validates our message. As G2, are we realising these four opportunities in our church? Do we see each of those demographics in our community here today and express throughout the week? Who's missing? Why are they missing? Keller suggests three ways that we might seek to be active in taking the opportunities that are available to us. (coughs) Firstly, actually love where you are. Develop an attitude that can see and appreciate the city that you're in. Secondly, Live out the dynamic and counter-cultural life of the gospel where you live. We're living in such close proximity to other people because we're in cities that this is a unique opportunity for what we live out to actually rub off on other people because they can see it, because we're right there. And thirdly, be a community radically committed to the good of the city as a whole, especially our commitment to the poor. Honest question. Are any of these three challenges true for us as G2? Are they true for you and for me? Because we are G2. I've actually been convicted this week about my apathy towards the city of York as a place. I enjoy living here. I enjoy consuming all the good stuff about York City life. I don't have an attitude of loving the city selflessly. I actually don't have an attitude where I care about seeing York as a place thrive. I just like York because of what York gives me. That's what I've realised this week. I actually asked a bunch of friends, some Christians, some not, who are leading in different spheres of influence around the city this week, like the producer of Theatre Royal, uh, like uh, Amanda, like my mate in social work, I just asked them, what is the biggest need in your city that you represent within the city of York? And the answers came back. And it blew me away how much I didn't know about my city. How much need there was that I hadn't even registered. And I don't even know whether I cared before now how our arts and entertainment was doing. Keller poses a challenge that I find really hard. He says, Christians should seek to live in the city. Not use the city to build great churches, but use the resources of the church to seek a great and flourishing city. I don't do this currently, and I don't even think about living like this. It is countercultural, but totally kingdom to actively work to see other people thrive rather than focusing on building your own empire, building your own tower rather than the temple. Do you do this? Take a look at the GT Vision banner. This. ...is actually G2's city vision. If somebody asks, what's G2's vision for the city? What does G2 actually do to to care about York? Where are G2 in York? This is it. This is our citywide vision. This is our vision statement for York... ...for every city that we represent. This isn't actually meant to be G2's vision for G2. This is meant to be G2's vision... ...for how we participate with God in making all things new. All things as Jesus intended like the new Jerusalem, like the garden city, in every single area where we are dispersed. And this is why we can't do it without the power of God. This is why the Holy Spirit has to be invited to work with us every step of the way. Today we've become scripture aware for the heart that God has for cities, self-aware about the roles that God has placed us in to live for him, city aware of what spheres of influence we're in, and the temples and towers that we can see in our culture and how we've all been given huge opportunity as well as huge challenge to be a church in a city. With all this insight, we now need to ask God to help us with this city vision, to actually make it come home in our hearts because that's how we leave changed to go on and change the world. On my own, for me, I forget. I forget about God's city vision. I didn't even know that he cared until I started properly digging into what the Bible says about it. I'm unaware of the city's power to influence me if I'm not paying attention to the culture that I step into. Or I get overwhelmed by the bigness of the idea that G2 York could have something to change to see the city changed. I get that just seems too big a vision that we could see the city changed. So I switch off. That's what happens on my own. But with the invitation of God to work in me and through me, I can walk out the door knowing my life matters, knowing we're in a family together, and knowing it's, God is more interested in seeing you all come to know him and flourish than we are. Therefore, of course, he is going to use you in your city to see change and influence and bring life. Tim and Fred, do you want to come and join me? All I'm going to do to start off with is pray for all of us together, uh, for God to give us the gift of faith, to give us fresh vision for what it means to be influences within a city for him. Using the scripture from Isaiah 54 that uh, God was speaking to me so much about. It kept being preached that at me in South Africa, everywhere I went, when I was in the back of my head planning this talk. Isaiah 54 kept coming back and it's about enlarging your vision, expanding what is possible, making room for God to do something. So that's what I'm going to pray over us. And then after that, we are going to pray for our cities in our cities as we currently stand. So let's pray together now. Father God, we take the scripture, Isaiah 54. We take the scripture that I feel you've given this community for this time as we look at City Vision. And we listen to your word when it says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. I ask in the name of Jesus that, Holy Spirit, you would begin even now to drop into our minds and our hearts your perspective on the city of York, your perspective on the cities we represent, of family, of business, of health, of education, of the universities, of retail, of government and law. Father, what do you have to say to us about where you've placed us? Lord Jesus, save us from being about us. Save us from selfishness. Father, save G2 from thinking it's about building a G2 empire. Holy Spirit, convict us where we've taken our eyes off the new Jerusalem, the ultimate vision of the fullness of God in the Garden City. Draw us back to your vision, Father, of working with you to see all things made new. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you give us um, a soft heart to love York, a soft heart to love our housemates, our colleagues, the customers we serve. Lord Jesus, on our own, we're going to make it about us, and we're not going to do a good job of loving people. But with you, Holy Spirit, all things are possible. We can see the love of God move in us and through us, and see the world flourish because of where our two feet are. So I ask in the name of Jesus, that Holy Spirit, you would give us your heart for our cities. And as we pray together now in our cities, Father, inspire our prayers. The Lord's been talking to me about prayer recently and reminding me that prayer is not us turning up to him with a to-do list and asking him to make things happen for us. We... Pray to enter the presence of God and be changed by God in that encounter. So when you are praying for your cities, let's ask God to inspire our prayers so that we pray the prayers that are on his heart for family, for business, for education, for health. So Holy Spirit, inspire our prayers now as we pray in our cities, for our cities, and we lift our eyes off ourselves and onto your vision for where you've placed us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.